Good evening, Patriots, and it's Tuesday, May 17th in the year 2022. And as always, on the East Coast, you're already entering into tomorrow, so hope you enjoy that. Before we begin, make sure you're getting a good night's sleep and that you're getting the right products for that sleep. There's some amazing sales going on right now at MyPillow, including a booming sale on My Slippers. It saved $90 right now when you buy a pair of My Slippers over at MyPillow.com using your promo code BARDS, along with the great savings that are going on with the buy one, get one offer. Hello, I'm Mike Vendell, inventor of MyPillow. Thanks to your support, you've helped make MyPillow become one of the fastest growing companies in America. Over the last 12 years, you've helped MyPillow create thousands of jobs right here in the USA. When I got MyPillow, I'm asleep almost immediately. I stay asleep at night and I wake up more well-rested in the morning. That's why I invented MyPillow. My patented fill adjusts to your exact individual needs and helps keep your neck supported and aligned. I'm interrupting this commercial to bring you my BOGO extravaganza. For example, you get one of my Giza Dream bed sheets and you get a second set absolutely free. Or my six-piece towel sets. Buy one set, get another one absolutely free. Or get my classic premium my pillow and get another one absolutely free. So call the number on your screen or go to MyPillow.com and use your promo code to get my buy one, get one free offers and get deep discounts on all my pillow products. That's buy one, get one free right now. Big sales, big savings over on MyPillow.com. Your landing page, our landing page, MyPillow.com forward slash Bards. Bards Nation's own landing page on MyPillow, which is really pretty cool when you think about it. So head on over to MyPillow.com forward slash Bards. Use your promo code Bards, B-A-R-D-S. And you can use that as well on the Frank Speech site and the My Store site. And if you want to speak to a Patriot Pillow counselor, give them a ring, 800-975-2939. 800-975-2939. Again, your promo code is BARDS. You know, we're dealing with some pretty devious people. I want to start out with a piece tonight, and just as a perspective, I thought it was really interesting on how God brought, and this is a perspective basically saying how God is positioning people, but how God also brought Biden into office. It's pretty interesting. The whole reason, the whole reason Joe Biden there's many reasons why he's president of the United States and God has allowed it to happen. But one of it is to position people in a place that they come to a place and they see that the only place hope can be found is Jesus Christ. And so as we continue on this earth and we continue to move forward, I'll tell you, we live in the most exciting time in history. It's, it's not a time to live in fear. It's not a time to listen to people about. Correct. Wonderful time in history. God's working in amazing ways on many, many places and many domains. Okay. Um, I want to share a little news from the for the Bards family. And I think it's just totally awesome. Our great mod bear, who has been such a brother to me and such an incredible part of building Bards Nation and such a backbone to the whole internet digital side of this is now going to be heading over to Arizona in the coming weeks, taking on a new job working for John Benzinger, pastor John Benzinger. So bear is going to be joining the church over there, which I think is redeemer church. And I just ask everybody to just keep their prayers up for bear. It's absolutely fantastic opportunity. And I'm just hoping the absolute best for them. And 
on top of all that, in the midst of this move, he has another baby, another grandson or grandbaby on the way. Isn't that awesome? So I just think that's fantastic. That's, that's the, we don't talk about this stuff enough. That's God working powerfully. It really is. And it, it's such a beautiful thing. And I, I'm truly happy for the bear family. <laughs> what do you call it? Is that called, is that called a, a, a bear coven, a bear club, a bear, a, a bear herd? I don't know what you call that. I don't know what happens when you get a bear, uh, when you get a, uh, so many bears, because they've got so many bears coming in, it becomes a, uh, yeah, maybe it's a clan, a bear clan. <laughs> Watch out, because you got baby bears, you got cubs, a bear troop. <laughs> It's pretty awesome. No, he's just, he, he's, you know, I've had a, a absolute honor and privilege of meeting some of the finest people in my life that God allowed that to happen through this podcast. And I, I mean, and I speak to all of you when I say that. I've just, one of the greatest honors I had at Bart's Fest was to be able to shake everybody's hand. That was awesome. Not once, but about two or three times. Bear is one of those people that God put us together. And he and I have been, uh, it just, we hit it off like we knew each other forever. And I, I can't sp- express enough just how happy I am for him and his family on this fantastic move to be literally moving into a place where he's going to be, and he is a deep, faithful person, but I mean, be, be able to put that now in a daily activity of working with what I consider to be one of the best pastors in America, which is John Benzinger. So, I mean, what, a, what an amazing mix and, and, and bringing together of everybody. So please keep your prayers up for them in these coming weeks and months as they make the move. And well, I'm sure we're going to hear more about it as we go, which is awesome. One of the things we're struggling with, and in fact, I'm going to read something that uh, Tony Wood, this came, and Tony Wood's down in Orange County, and he was also at Bards Fest. I'm going to read something that Tony Wood put up today. And this is really, you've heard me speaking of this. This is, again, kind of how God works. I just want to be clear. Tony and I don't talk. I don't mean like we have a problem. I mean, like it's not like we pick up the phone and go, hey, what are you going to talk about? So this is why I say this, because you've been hearing me talk all week and even in the last couple of weeks about the moral bankruptcy of our youth. And it's really interesting when you start to, when people send me things and you get posts and, and this was sent to me just a little earlier, what Tony Wood put up. And it's just right in line with what God's message is here on all things. So listen to this. Only 13% of youth pastors hold a biblical worldview. Barna Group just released their post-COVID research, and it proves what we all feared. Only 37% of pastors and 13% of youth pastors now hold a biblical worldview. America has lost her way because America lost her pulpit. Parents, choose your church with greatest care, and there's nearly a 9 in 10 chance your child will be taught lies and not biblical truth i'm telling you this is you've heard me beat on this one about what's happened in our churches and i and i you know i I will tell you honestly that i'm just being honest when you say these things i'm always ready to like oh i'm going to go to war over this but god 
I'm clear with God when I'm speaking this because I've been very clear that there are great pastors in our nation, but man, do we have a problem. And that right there, that stat is exactly what I've been speaking to. I just didn't have the numbers. Our youth pastors, 13% of them hold a biblical worldview. So what does that mean? That means that basically they're accepting sin and as they speak gospel, so you're going to find some that are probably going to be, well, you know, abortion's her choice. It's, it's, it's the woman's right to choose. I, I mean, I'm making some of this up, but I'm, you literally are going to start having, you're going to have the acceptance of transgenderism. All this other stuff is happening within the youth pastors. 13% of them are holding to a biblical view. 37% of our main pastors. Our country was created from the, from the ashes of where it came from, that roots it had was from the pulpit. I would really encourage all of you, and in fact, I've been thinking about doing this in another way, but encourage all of you to research the old sermons. But I think it's important enough that I was kind of wargaming a, a way how to do this today, and I'm going to figure out a way to do it or how I'm going to work it in. But I think I need to start reading some of these old sermons. I'm talking like 1700s. The sermons that built America. Because these sermons, and unfortunately, are they are long. I mean, could you imagine the dedication? Because they didn't have air conditioning, right? They they sat in these wood pulpits that were not comfortable. They were dressed up in just usually some fairly heavy clothing. And they were just you just the, the heat in some of these places would have been tremendous, but I however we do it I maybe I'll read portions of them, but I I really think it's important that we regain the flavor of what is hap what caused our country to become great, and that goes right to the core of we need to raise up a new youth group, and that is something just as I will say and I've I've kind of teased it up, I'm working with Pastor Brad Cummings. We've mentioned this, there's this chunk of property that's now available for Bars Nation. I know some of you have been really interested in what we're going to do about it. There's a big youth program coming out of this, and I, I, I'm not going to talk much about it yet, but we're kind of building the infrastructure now, and when we do, it's going to be very, very instrumental in trying to develop a new class of youth in, in town, in village type pastoring to put really boots on the ground. It's what I'm referring to as the special forces of God's soldiers. And we're really going to work towards that. We need this. So this is kind of my big goal working with Brad that we'll be doing, and we'll be bringing more and more people in. So don't worry, you won't be excluded, but it, it's part of the development we're in right now. So I mean, we, we have, we have such an absolute moral bankruptcy. I want to play a, I, this comes from some animation of the, I think it's some animation about ants or something. And it probably was a Pixar piece. I just found it today. I just couldn't find the original film, but I want you to hear this dialogue about this, these sets of bugs that are, are now being directed to go crush the ants. This is literally how the elite see us. It's very important to understand this. There was that ant that stood up to me. Yeah, but we 
we can forget about him? Yeah, it was just one hand. Ooh. One hand. <laughs> yeah, you're right. It's just one hand. Yeah, boss. They're puny. Hmm. Puny? Say, let's pretend this brain is a puny little ant. Did that hurt? <laughs> nope. Well, how about this one? Are you kidding? <laughs> well, how about this? You let one ant stand up to us, then they all might stand up. Those puny little ants outnumber us a hundred to one. And if they ever figure that out, there goes our way of life. It's not about food. It's about keeping those ants in line. That's why we're going back. Does anybody else want to stay? That's from A Bug's Life, and I appreciate who put that up on the board for me to read. That is literally how they see us. And they are able to very quickly force people to submit, in my opinion, because they lack, the people have lost their way in a relationship with God. We don't hold a biblical worldview as a culture, our pastors aren't, are for to a large degree, aren't preaching a biblical worldview. Or if we are, man, there's some I've heard lately that I'm shaking my head because it's so far off the rails. They're wrapped into this political fight. And it's not about Democrat or Republican. It's about where do you stand with Jesus? That's that simple. So as you work through this. I mean, we, we are sitting as a nation that has lost its way with God. And so it's very easy for the elite to be able to crush us. I mean, listen to this. This is a, a comedy skit, but it's a really great 26 seconds of the State of the Union. Is it me or does it every story this week sound like the opening voiceover in a Mad Max movie? The year is 2022. A virus rages across the planet. Digital money has collapsed. Infants have nothing to eat. Women are forced to breed. Men are ready to die for gasoline. And we suffer under the leadership of the one known only as Joe. And there you go. And I mean, we laugh at it. And it is a funny interpretation, but are we, what are we doing about it? And that's at the core of so much of what our challenge is. And if you don't have a biblical worldview, then where you arrive at is you don't feel you have the strength to stand up against this because you're worried so much about me and in this life. Lacking a biblical worldview, your life is what it is now. And though you may say that it's spiritual or I, have, I believe in a, in a creator, you're lacking that, what I would say is the fire of faith, that righteousness, because you've never met and had a close, intimate relationship with Jesus. And it's, you know, I guess it, it's kind of like the person who, when you go through, you say you've been to war, but you've spent your whole time in a fire base that's in, like, in the rear rear echelon, the rear debt area, 
redeployment area. You've never seen combat. Your extension of combat is that you work a, a regular duty cycle job. You once in a while you hear of the the fears of or the or the horrors of war. You attend this, and this is real. Actually, this happens a lot. People attend the funerals and they feel emotionally tied because they're brethren, but because they've never actually been in conflict or been downrange in the actual muck of it, they tend to start imagining and creating the war in their mind of what they're really about. But it's not actually what war is. When we're on the front lines of this war and you're fighting every day, now you're walking with Jesus. If you're really pushing into Jesus, you're going to experience what he experienced in that place of you're going to be, they're going to persecute you. People are not going to, you're going to see division. You're going to be, feel at times like you've been separated from the people that you knew. That's part of the fight. And you can't, you're not going to get deep into this and really the grind of it and have the fearlessness in it unless you have that relationship with Christ. These people we're dealing with are conniving. I mean, listen to this one minute and 44 second piece of the Australian prime minister talking about and listen to how he frames the discussion about how he's going to give away Australia's sovereignty to the who. And when you listen to this, imagine how these new youth that are believing in a one world we're all global citizens. We all have to, we're all human parasites on the globe. There's too many of us. We're, we've been destructive on the globe. Think about that as he gives his explanation of why and how he's going to give or why he's going to give away sovereignty to the who. The World Health Organization meets on May 22, and on the agenda is a potential pandemic treaty which would allow the mm. WHO to direct countries in how they control pandemics. Mm. Would you consider signing up to that and handing over any controls to the organization? I have always been supportive right from the outset and was criticised heavily, I stress, heavily, mocked in fact by the Labor Party for saying the WHO should have those powers and those authorities to be able to go and deal with pandemic situations because we all know what happened at the start of this pandemic. Uh, we, well, the problem is we don't know what happened at the start of this pandemic and I was the one calling to ensure that we had an independent process to understand what happened so it couldn't be repeated. So I have been in the vanguard of those moves internationally to ensure that there is greater protection for world health, to ensure that uh, those world health authorities can come and understand what's going on and be able to assist countries to be able to prevent the spread and outbreak of major infectious diseases. Uh, now we'll look at the text of all of that, but we have been amongst the countries that have been positive about these sorts of changes, have to look closely at what the detail is in these things, as you always must. But the idea that countries can just say, no, you can't come in and have a look at a pandemic that's about to break out and actually affect the, the public health and the economy of the entire world, as we saw with this pandemic, then I think it's only sensible that that's an area of international cooperation um, that is very, very important, and I've been consistent on that. And remember, the Labor Party mocked me for saying that that was a good idea. You notice how it's real interesting. In 2007, we had a massive monetary collapse. That The housing bubble cr crushed out, crashed out. We saw 
huge recession in this country, and that had ripple effects around the world. You never heard of anything like a financial pandemic. You never heard of any need to take any sort of actions to allow the world, say like the World Bank, to intercede on other companies' countries' behalf to look after their financial matters and their financial affairs to ensure that other people wouldn't be affected. But look at where we are today. Suddenly, the world is so interconnected. How did that happen? How did, how did it become so interdependent and so interconnected that now if we don't allow an outside agency to come in and monitor our ways and take away our sovereignty that we will all suffer? This is the sleight of hand that these people do. They're always moving the goalposts, and they're always lying. But in a sense, they're not completely lying. And that's the thing to keep in mind. It's easy to say they're lying. He's speaking a truth, which is that if there was actually a pandemic and if a country, i.e. China, as an example, or Ukraine, wouldn't allow us entry, then it would be a problem if there was really such a crisis. But we didn't have a crisis. We had a pandemic. Now, one thing to highlight here, and it's important to keep in mind, and I'm, I'm going to give President Trump some credit here. He has been saying for a long time, China, China. And we all looked the only way that we knew to look, and that was we looked over to Wuhan. And that's where the media took us. And I and we've talked about this. When the media takes you somewhere, like starts saying, oh, yeah, it's Wuhan or it's not Wuhan, this is controlled opposition stuff to try to get you to look somewhere but not there. Don't forget that there is a C-H-Y-N-A in Ukraine, and there was a bioweapons lab there. Don't forget that. Okay? I'm convinced more and more that President Trump was telling the truth and that he was actually saying China, C-H-Y-N-A, and there's a longer word longer name to that i'll have to dig it up for tomorrow's show but that was that's in ukraine and there was a bioweapons lab there okay so truth is one of the biggest casualties in this entire fight and those elites in power are using the the twisted nature of truth which is how they grow up the sick part about all of this is we've lost the moral base for our nation and the youth have become have been trained to be obstinate. They don't want to listen. They want to be. They want to tell you what it is, and they absolutely are, have been brainwashed to be told that God doesn't exist. This is how they believe it is. And there's a lot of these youth that are out there, pretty sick, in fact. The challenges that we have right now are probably greater with the youth than they are with anybody else. Two Timothy four. For the time will come when they will not endure sound doctrine, but after their own lust shall they heap to themselves teachers having itching ears, and they shall turn away their ears from the truth and shall be turned unto fables. Plays a lot like I went over last night with the Pied Piper. The youth are easily carried away. And so much of this has been the decision as a culture as a whole, not pointing out to any particular parent, but the decision as a culture as a whole to outsource their education and upbringing to a 
basically what we call, what are honestly now communist indoctrination camps, but to blindly trust. And we were never supposed to blindly trust that job, nor were we supposed to outsource it. I'm in a very unique generation. And I, I believe my generation is referred to as Generation X. And I'm, I'm 57. Okay, and this, why this generation is unique is that we were the last generation to get to be fully exposed in our youth to the values of World War II. And then at the latter part of our education, we got exposed to the new education system, which was being run by these deep state communists. And so we've ended up walking this strange middle ground of seeing two worlds, kind of the more traditional value world and the new progressive evolving world. Three years ahead of me, those born in 68 and so forth, they started to experience a different world because that world was now starting to be swept into the full-blown TV age. And very quickly, by the time we got into the 70s, the awareness of the computer age. When I was in high school, the computers were just beginning to come in. The first computer that came into school was when I was, I want to say I was a junior in in math. We were doing uh calculus at that point and I think the first computer we had was a PET PET computer there was also a Kypro if you remember those I mean these are old computers these were the very beginning of the computer age so I didn't get absorbed into that but the generations after me started to be swept into that pretty heavily Apple introduced its first main computer which was originally the the first icon based computer was the Lisa and that came out when I was a, in a senior in high school and or somewhere around there. And then they, the actual Apple home computer was a computer. Again, it came out when, as a junior or senior in high school. So I, my touch on that was kind of at the end of my academics in the main elementary and high school, public school system. At university, I mean, we, we unlike today, I mean, but you everything you did was Books and your essays were typically handwritten, always were handwritten, in fact. And it wasn't until my last two years that I was actually able to find somebody that could, I knew how to type because I took typing through a IBM Selectric. It was the systems that we learned to type on in high school. If you made a mistake, then you had to go back and use whiteout. You didn't have, even if you had autocorrect, that didn't always work. You didn't have word processors. The first word processor I used, I was in my third year in college, and it was designed in a completely different than it is today. The word processor you typed in, it just was constantly a constant block of text, meaning there was no visible paragraphs. There was no visible indents. You didn't have any spell check. But what you would do is as you were typing, you would put in certain codes like a double hash or you would put in a, another code. for. And what would happen is when it printed out on the screen, it would look like just one solid block of text with these, these other symbols you were putting in the middle. And then when it printed out, those symbols would be translated to printer code and then it would format your, your essay. So you ended up having to many print many copies many times because you'd forget one hashtag or something like that 
So the the point is that the interface of computers, the internet wasn't in wasn't around when I was in college. The internet didn't come in until the early nineties, and I didn't really start using it until the mid to late nineties. It's a different world. And though I mean I'm very adapted to and have very adapted to this whole idea of technology. It's still a desire to sit down and physically hold a book and read it, which I do. And there's still a lot of the hand skills, the desire to do things. I think that a lot of, we have such a moral bankruptcy in our culture because so much of what we have done here has moved people away from the foundations of creating stuff, things that last. One of the great gifts that I had in my life is the ability to do carpentry. And when you build something, if you if you have built significant structures, you know that you don't do this frivolously. I remember working with my dad one day, and I cut a two-by-four, and I cut it wrong. And so I, and I actually built a whole framed wall, and I had cut a couple short, and so I had put in shims in the two-by-fours. And it wasn't bad, but like, you know, you're off of an eighth, or you're off a three-sixteenths. And I, and I remember that I, I did this whole frame up of this wall at a, and it was on a job. And he walked up and he looked at it and he said, looks pretty good. Now tear it down and do it all over again because you can't build a wall that way. Your tolerances have to be a 16th or less. And my tolerances were a 16th or less. And that's how I built. I learned to build where my actual normal building tolerances were a 32nd of an inch. And so that's something that you learn. And the reason I bring this up is because when you're focused on creating, physically being responsible for the actions of your hand, the measurement that includes an eye-hand coordination, you're physically creating something. And when you do it wrong, there is a physical cost in materials, potentially a physical cost to your wallet. And whatever you build, you know that it's going to last for many, for years, if not lifetimes. That's the point of building well. And that's just working with wood. That doesn't count welding. I was in high school. I mean, I don't know how many, we don't have trades much in schools anymore. Welding was mandatory when I was in middle school. Middle school, it was mandatory. Learning to draft was mandatory when I was in middle school. Learning to work on an engine was mandatory when I was in middle school. So we had a lot of tangible actions so you understood consequences. In the digital age, you don't understand consequences. And it's something I've been perplexing over is how do we get to a place where people obsess about creating things that ultimately cause such destruction to humanity, mainly data grabbing. You know, I mentioned this in, you heard me mention it on the, in the previous hour in the Corey Diggs interview that there was a piece that I witnessed the other day or watched of an engineer talking about this great new algorithm that he had developed that was monitoring and tracking body postures and dwell times to translate what that meant so stores would be better able to maximize their displays and sell more product. Well, that leads to many other things. That's literally what you're doing is you are shaping a person's performance. You're, you're influencing them based on the way you display things to get them to be compelled to make an action that otherwise they wouldn't do. 
And that's how advertising works. They're the biggest psyop machine in the world. But yet people are excited about this. They get excited about developing a new way to scrape data and sell it for a company so they can make more money for the company. Why do we end up there with such willingness? Part of it is that in the digital world, there is no consequence. If you make a mistake in code, you just go back and erase it and do it again. If you create something in the digital world, it never lasts. And it just, it goes out. And if you make a, you if you go out and create a, an app, your app will be outdated if you're lucky in a year. But normally an app has to be updated every six months or so. That's part of the cost when you develop an app. Again, I don't know how many people have developed apps. All of these things are temporary that are being built in the digital space. Nothing is permanent. Everything gets constantly changed. And so the hours you put in have no value anymore. When we add to that a deconstruction of our relationship with God, God is a permanent relationship. But how can we have a permanent relationship when everything in our life is temporary? How can we have a true and deep and intimate relationship of any kind when everything in our life is temporary? This is why ultimately, in my opinion, we arrive at a place where abortion is such an easy thing. In my neighborhood, there's we're all conservative around here except for one house. And they have a Black Lives a BLM sign and a gay pride flag in their in their window. And now they've added a new sign, which was a cheesy handwritten sign that basically says women's health rights is human is our human rights. Meaning this is all the new pro abortion language. When we get to a place where everything is in itself changing as the digital world tries to happen, people don't feel that there's ever a solid rock to stand on. We hear this in scripture. Did you build your house on the house of sand or on the rock of faith? And it's there. And what's happened is we have a world of youth that have learned only to stand on a house built on sand. And that sand is forever falling apart and forever changing. So how can you have security? So when you add to that, a, a world is for perpetually changing and you don't, you have no sense of security. You have everybody telling you that God isn't real. You have the, the Mason and well, basically the deep state Rothschilds run Darwinian Darwin program to convince everybody that we came from some, primordial goo and we crawled out of a swamp as fish and then later grew to apes and then those apes became humans. I mean, that's literally the, the Darwinian model. So God doesn't exist there. You're told that the Bible is a book. You are, and in fact, when we look at what's happened in our pastoring, it's easy to point to the bankruptcy of the church. Because according to the statistic we read at the beginning, you've got a 63% chance of pointing to a church that itself does not hold a biblical worldview. And you have a 87% chance of pointing to a youth pastor randomly across this, this country that is raising children without a biblical worldview. 
Moral bankruptcy is where we've arrived. And we've left our children to be raised in school systems that are run without God, without an understanding of a commitment to nation. And then we turn around and we pray to God and we say, fix it. What is that? I mean, in all seriousness, what is that? And then we, we're, we're befuddled. It's like, I don't know what to do. And we hear this. Well, this is where we as people have an obligation. This is our fight. This is where we have to be able to understand that what Christ was trying to tell us, you will be persecuted. It's not, a, it's not an offer. It's not like maybe. It's a guarantee. Look, Patriots, I don't talk a lot about in depth about a lot of things, but I am going to tell you this, and, the, and I've mentioned this in different forms, but when you're running in life, and I was running in life with a pretty good chip on my shoulder when I had my Department of Defense company, and I don't mind saying it, and God humbled me in a big way, but it was a choice. I need to make that clear because when I had a U.S. Marshal at my door telling me that I had been charged with a felony, a crime that I did not commit, but I have no recourse but to go with him and to be thrown into jail and have to wait that one out for 20 days without charge and not know what my destiny was. When you lose all of what you normally value and you have to now confront a choice, do you follow God or do you just blow it off as like, be angry and walk in the world and try to take on the world by yourself. Whatever triggered in me, and God knew it would apparently, I went the right way. I dig, dug deeper into my relationship with the Lord as, as deeper than I ever have. And with that, God has rewarded everything. But when we don't have real issues in our life and we're able to run around here without consequences and parents are afraid to intercede on their children or parents are going with the main narrative to say, well, you know, let your child grow up. If they want to be a, a cat or a dog or they want to identify as this, it's just part of who they are. You have to accept that. Parents are failing. Children are being left to the clutches of, of Lucifer himself and all of his agents. And we as a nation are sitting here going, boy, I can't believe how quickly this thing came about. It came about quickly because as a nation, we abandoned God. And most deeply, we abandoned the biblical worldview and we abandoned the relationship each one of us needs to have with Christ. That's the, the, the hard, very brutal look in the mirror. And though individually we can say, yeah, but I didn't do that. I, I think if we're honest, we can all say that we had a part in it in one way or another. Because I can. I can tell you that prior to 2017, I wasn't part of a solution. Today, I'd like to think that everything I do, every breath and step I take in some way or another is in obedience to God and hopefully part of or he's guiding me for the solution he needs. All I know is I follow what he does. And I hope, and we have to, we have to demonstrate that in such a powerful way that the youth can't deny it. And it doesn't mean being hostile and taking a bat to the head of some people, which sometimes may, <laughs> yeah, I'm sure that we've ever all been there. It's like, oh, if I had a 
Louisville slugger right now, look out. But that's not where we are. We are in a place where we need to be demonstrating what that conviction is in Christ in the daily life. And I don't have, I say this because we say these things in a broad brush sense. Like we need to be doing this. Okay, that sounds, that's very, it's big haughty statements and big broad brush statements. So what does that mean? What's the traction on that? The traction begins truly with through prayer and a relationship with God and doing where, going where he guides you. So I'm going back to where I began tonight, and it just didn't intend here, but I think it's a perfect example. So I talked a bit about me. My example got my butt smacked by God, literally broken. And out of that, I listened. And boy, I'll tell you, it has been a wild ride, some of the hardest times in my life and some of the greatest. So what happens when we listen to God and we're praying to God and we're saying, God, I want to be more in your service. Things happen like I begin this wonderful discussion about our mod Teddy bear who has been given this opportunity now to go serve the Lord in the house, in his house with one of the best pastors in our nation, John Benzinger. But to do that, you have to make choices and they're not easy. And, you have to give up something and you have to be willing. But as we follow that, God's leading us all. And he's doing a profound way of bringing us here. This community that we've been building, this fellowship that's been building around this podcast is a fantastic example because people are coming together and sharing and learning and building out as we should. We're not we're not sitting here in one big temple. We're, we're like seeds on the wind. And we're out here and we're sowing seeds in everywhere we need to be. And that's how this gets changed. So on one hand, we have 13% of our youth pastors that don't have a worldview. And we have 37% of our pastors, I'm sorry, 13% of our youth pastors that have a biblical view, and we have 37% of our pastors that have a biblical view. So here's the simple answer. The few churches that are holding to the biblical view and doing the great work, the Tony Woods, the John Benzinger, the Travis Grahams, look, they're doing their job, and they're doing as much as they can. But each of us now fills that gap and makes up that difference between the 37 to take it to 100%. And that means we're listening to God in the various capacities that we're working in the different forms that we're engaging. We're taking that into the world and we're filling the gap because that's what we do. You fill the gap. You don't let the wall get breached because that's what the enemy's trying to do. And they're trying to breach it through the formalities of the church that has long, long lost its soul. But now we're, we're stepping into the gap and we're holding strong. And as we do that through the fellowship in Christ, this wall gets unbelievably strong. And over the course of this, I don't know what happens to these other churches, these, these 80, or what did I say, 63% of the pastors. And I don't know what happens to the 83% of the youth pastors. Because that's for God to decide. 
But if we bind ourselves with or align ourselves with that 37% and that 13%, we now have 100% and 100% that's fighting this war and it's all cylinders moving in powerful ways. The biggest thing about all of this for me in this walk is that God is showing us time and again, leave what was built, follow where I point you. That's the exodus. However you want to shape that. That to me represents the exodus 2.0. And it's a phenomenal time for this. It's a beautiful time for this. And through this entire course of this, we are learning again and again and again the power that God gave us and the gifts that God gave us. And there are many. And we're learning that we don't need all the things that we thought we needed and we don't need all the crutches that we thought we needed and we don't need to be, we don't need the leaders that we thought we needed. What we need is Christ and we need the trust in him. And we need to believe in what he told us. And in my two phrases, I say, recite so much. Luke 10, 19, behold, I have given you authority to walk on snakes and scorpions and authority over all the power of the enemy and nothing will injure you. And John 14, 12, truly, truly, I say to you, the one who believes in me, the works that I do, he will do also and greater works than these he will do because I am going to the father. The only thing missing in that is a simple question. Do you believe followed by, do you trust? And if you answer to both of those, welcome to the A-team, because that's how we win. Patriots, let's pray. Father, we are here tonight, and we've really heard a powerful message that came from Pastor Tony Wood, just a, a reminder of, unfortunately, the moral bankruptcy that has happened within our within the pulpit of the church. And hearing that, Lord, we're standing in the breach. We're standing in the breach and receiving the call in our hearts to stand now, to be the disciples of this time, to join in alignment with the great work that the pastors like Tony Wood and John Benzinger and Travis Graham and the many others that are a part of that group that are truly pushing the gospel as a biblical worldview into the world from the pulpit. But now instead of them being a minority, we're filling that, that breach to make it a majority. The many voices that you need on the ground to take the church out of its walls and push it into the communities, to bring the church into our homes as need be, to raise up your word, to bring up, that 13% of youth pastors that have a worldview and reinforce them with youth that are out willing and to fight for you and for the word of, for your word and the love of Christ. And again, to go past the walls and to push it into the communities, to become that force that's undeniable, that's unbreakable, and is so decentralized that Satan can never get his hands on it. Lord, we just pray for the strength of those in, in their heart and in their soul to hear that calling to stand up and do such great things. 
And standing up doesn't mean kicking in doors or punching people in the face, but rather to pull and draw the sword of the spirit and to be mighty with the word, to be mighty with the conviction in your heart, to be mighty with this walk in our time, to let the light of Christ shine through us so it's undeniable that we become the light on the hill, the lamps that people cannot turn their eyes from, to seek out that relationship with Christ, that we become that bridge so, Lord, for all those that will hear, let them hear that love that you pour into them to stand and to be that bold, to be fearless in this fight. And we say these things in Christ Jesus' name. Amen. Good stuff, because God put it here for us to grab. And it's time to feast on the great words that he gave us. We have a lot of hope in the midst of the darkness. And God is always going to have the last play no matter what. But we are going to have to work hard as people. We have to be committed to him. And we have to believe. So much of what we're challenged with these days is that I think that we get overwhelmed and I'm, I'm not generalizing too much, but I do think that we get overwhelmed. And in the process of being overwhelmed by all that's going on, we forget what we're really here for. The politics and the noise that's out here, it's, it's just that. We have to remember what we're fighting for. It's a spiritual fight. And we're going to win this as long as we straight stay true to him. So, Patriots, keep your head up and your eyes forward. Never bow to evil. Never relent. Always press into the fight. Keep your prayers up. Seek that strength that God calls you to do, to be stronger each day, to be bolder, to be that more powerful voice. God is with us and he will never forsake us. And in the end, God will always win. But we are here in this time, in this place, for just such a time as this. Occupy the land. Expand the kingdom. Mission forward. Patriots, I'll see you tomorrow afternoon for Bended Knee. Until then or until the next time. God bless. Good night. Thank you. And out for now. All this time we had to prove that we could stand here too. All the nights been pushing through, fight for all we had to lose. Reaching out for something to pull us up to the level ground. Oh, I can see it now, I can see it now
Marching through somehow Oh, you're an island when the world is too loud When the seasons change I know the space between us will stay the same Resting on this faith When your soul answers calls far away Close on the cold day's dark. 